there's this cool thing that I'm ordering right now. It's basically a, a lunch meal prep that this woman started out in Sydney. And you have to get your orders in, and there's only like a certain amount, and you can basically have your lunch prep done for you. <laughs> for, and it's like nine bucks a thing, which like isn't. No, that's not bad know, at that's, all. More, no, it's not. It's really reasonable. And I'm like, well done, America. I love you. <laughs> We're back, America. So, We're back. Yeah, I am going to try this um, while I talk with you. How are you? Well, um, you know, I thought I was good. I really did. I thought, like, people would ask me that. I'm like, you know, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm doing good. It was hard, but I'm doing good. And about halfway through today, after my third meeting, I couldn't pay attention to anything. I couldn't pay attention. I couldn't focus. My brain was all over the place. And I was like, what the heck is my problem right now? And I'm like, oh, oh, right. This is what depression looks like. Like, I'm just grieving, you know? Like, it's not anything. There's no fast track through it you know but it was funny because it was so like it caught me unawares you know and i was just doing stuff and things are going and i'm talking with people my friends who i work with i love i love where i work i just have so many good people that i work with and uh i was just cool like things were okay this is what i'm doing and then that part ended and i was doing a bunch of emails and gearing up my employee performance reviews and all that stuff, getting all that together. And, uh, my brain just like locked and no matter what I was doing, I was like, it was like a fog. And I was like, dude, this just sucks. It's like, I can't focus. I can't do anything unless I'm talking to someone about nonsense. It's just, it just sucks. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, um, there's no way to process it. It's important that you ignore it. That you, that you, it's important that you ignore it. Gomer, continue on with <laughs> Ignore with your, your feelings. <laughs> no, it's important that you acknowledge it. Okay, my order's been received. Okay, I will let everyone know next Sorry, <laughs> while, <you're, laughs> while you're pouring your heart out. I will let everyone know n- next week how my experience of the, of the meal prep life went. I'm very excited about this. I feel like this is, this is good. I feel like this is good. So, um, I feel like you've moved my, on from the conversation. <laughs> no, I haven't. I haven't. I'm just very excited about about what I'm doing. Okay. Um, what am I? What am I saying? Yeah. No. My um, the person, my admissions coordinator, her friend, her friend runs this, and so she's going to pick it up for me because you have to pick it up on Sunday night. So, all right. Then she's awesome. So she's gonna, so okay. Cool. Uh, what am I saying? Yeah. It your horrible heart heartbreaking issue. Um. Not like issue. That's a whole, that's a whole way to put it. Um, just experience right now. Yeah, there's no. Me and Aaron went through a, a real, and I would say to a certain extent, still are going through like a depression because of this. You know, it just there's a heaviness to my heart, and I think to Aaron's heart that has never really went away since you know December 2015. Um, not you know it just, and I think there are times that I just need to acknowledge it. Like yeah, it makes me it, it makes me sad. And it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. One of the cool things is, um, you know, talking about this stuff, especially from like a, a dad's perspective, um, which you don't hear all that often. Um, but number one, I had a whole bunch of moms reach out and just thank me for sharing because it reminded them of them. And many of them that wrote to me, I probably had like 30 emails. Many of them that wrote to oh, me wow. said, yeah, uh, that. Wow. 
that they didn't, many of them, not all of them, didn't feel like they could talk about it with anyone. And so they just suffered silently. And I don't know how to be silent. <laughs> so it was, um, it was good for them to hear me talk about it. And then some of the women said it was good for them to hear like a, a father's side of it. And, um, you know, a lot of our Patreon supporters, when we posted the episode into Patreon, um, a lot of them started sharing their own stories of miscarriage or how many miscarriages they've had. And it really does. It's like one in four pregnancies results in a miscarriage. And so there, there needs to be a lot of um, humility when it comes to this stuff um, because a lot of people are going through it or have gone through it. And, uh, and it's just super moving. Um, people are sharing scripture versus Luke. I see that you're sending me stuff. Um, some people Sorry. on yeah, Patreon send stuff. A, a lot of people who are listeners to the show that are f- friends, uh, otherwise like Justin Lamison and you and, um, uh, gosh, who else? Uh, anywho, the Millers sent us stuff. Um, uh, this one family, they bought a kind of Chris Miller. They sent us stuff. Um, they, oh, nice. another family bought us rosary. They bought a rosary. And they all prayed, their whole family prayed on the rosary, and then they put it in an envelope and sent it to us with a beautiful letter. So it's stuff like that. Um, Heavensgain.com, I think, or .org. A lot of people were talking about resources for mothers and fathers who are grieving. That's the one that was most commonly referenced. There's a bunch of really good stuff. Um, There's a Trappist monastery that makes caskets that Nat in Patreon had referenced. And um, that's the thing that I was looking at on Tuesday when I tried to go to work and then ended up just crying because I was looking at baby caskets. That's the website I was looking at, and it's a beautiful website. You guys should look it up. Infant Caskets, Trappist. Even if you're not, you know, needing that, the story of them is it's very beautiful. They give it to uh, parents for free, these beautifully made caskets, if it's for a child. They give it to them oh, for free. Jeez, wow. Yeah, oh. and they pray all the while they make it, you know. So they're not brewing beer at this Trappist monastery. They're making uh, – Handmade wooden caskets, and they're beautiful for glory and for beauty. The beer would be e- easy to process, that's for sure. Yeah, no kidding. That's why I'm drinking right now. I do have to say, in the last two and a half, three weeks, I've gained uh, probably 12 pounds. I haven't gone for my twice-a-day walks. I haven't gone over people's houses like normal. It has been... Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's been hard. It's one of those things where I realized the other day that I was taking showers that were too hot. They weren't comfortable, you know? Like one of those, like, like you get out of the shower and your skin is, like, beat red with the water. And I was like, oh, my God. I was in there for, like, 15, 20 minutes. And I never do that. I, mean, I just came out of Exodus 90 where I take cold showers, right? So, And you don't take those for very long. So the idea of, like, I just was getting lost in thought and, like, I don't know, punishing myself or being weird or something. It just uh, – but, you know – it can be a paralyzing thing, you know. It can, I, I, th- I think for me to a certain extent, I turn to, um, well, not alcohol or things, but just like my fun little hobbies, the things that I like. I got real into them. <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah. So like more soccer podcast, more you know, yeah. going out to bars when I could, more Marvel movies, more you know stuff. Does anything to like kind of take away from the fact that like I mean. I don't want to make this worse for you. So I don't want to bring up stuff that I felt the religious things no. because it just, for, for me, it was just tough. I mean, there were, I think that, well, 
let me back up here. He was the hard part about our, especially our first miscarriage was just, I mean, I'm, you know, old dad now I'm in full old dad mode. You know, I am 38 and have a nine month old. <laughs> and so, uh, I know what are you a millennial, dads, but, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I know he just bought our first house recently. and not a kid. Mm. Uh, um, I'm a walking cliche. <laughs> no, you're uh, just a late bloomer. <laughs> amongst a generation of late bloomers. You didn't go through puberty until you were 20. When you were 12, you looked like a fetus. <laughs> yeah. Um, it uh, it was hard. It was just hard, you know, seeing people having kids. Hard, like, because I just didn't know if it was going to happen for us or not. And I think, not that there was a bitterness that developed between me and my wife or anything, but there was a little bit of... Um, we didn't go through it together as much as I wish we could have, but I also didn't realize how much she was having a heart. Like, yep, you know, yep, yep, um, yep. I did not realize and, that and, either. And, yeah. And I'll be honest. Like I was also angry at, I was angry at Aaron for how her, her attitude. I mean, listen, I'm not saying she did anything wrong. I'm just saying what I felt. I was angry at her for her attitude towards how I handled it at first. She was embarrassed that I got emotional at, at the hospital after we found out. Oh, really? And Aaron's is not a, Aaron's not a big displayer of public um a big dis- she's not someone who likes to display things in like in public and she did not know what she was getting involved in when she made i know it. exactly yeah yeah so it's <laughs> and like we like to joke around about how like one time you know we were going into a bar and we saw all of our friends and i saw like a stool and i like walked over and i was about to like stand on top of it and she just gave me this look and i went okay and just like you know stopped and like didn't <laughs> do it and she's also like gotten used to a lot of it as well you broke her in a little bit and things where she's genuinely like you know like something like that she's going through a traumatic horrible thing. Aaron's thing is to grin it on the chin and bear it for a bit, and then uh, take a lot of time to process it. Where I'm like, oh, in the moment, I need to process it right then and there. And it, I feel like I couldn't do that. Yeah. And I was bitter about it. Yeah. I was really bitter about it for a while. And I think it's. It's still a sore spot for me, you know, and it's something that I've forgiven her for. And not that, not that she needs my forgiveness. I want to be very clear. That, not that she needs it or um, I deserve it or anything like that. I'm just saying um, I had to consciously make the choice to be like, you know what? I can't like – I don't – you know, I, I, it's, it's – I mean, how do you handle that? I don't yeah. know. I don't know. You know, there was a period of time when I, I think I remember, like, uh, I was saying on the show uh, at one point in time to you how nervous I was that we actually weren't going to have kids. And I feel like it was passing me by and that it was just going to be a thing that, uh, you know, we just – that we were never going to experience. And that really, really – that was – that really bothered me. Mm-hmm. But it – and it – that was um, – yeah, th- that was tough. That was tough. Yeah. Yeah, so right now, every night we've watched uh, an action movie, and uh, a mindless action movie. We tried to watch Doom 2, Annihilation, didn't work. The Rock was the good one. We didn't even get 15 minutes into the second one. It was so terrible. <laughs> even you have your limits. Even I have my limits. And uh, we watched... You should watch uh, A Bridge of Spies. That was good. I enjoyed that movie. Oh, nice. I should do that. But that's like a thinking movie. I just want people dying. Uh, guns and such, okay. and bombs. So okay. we watched... You should no, clear... Okay, here's So I rented... Okay, go ahead. I rented uh, a movie that's in the theaters right now, Nobody, with Bob, the guy that plays Better Call Saul. Oh, was that good? I liked it. It's like a John Wick kind of thing, but it's funnier, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, Bob Odenkirk's good. he's an auditor for very bad people, and he walked away from that life in order to have a family. And now, but it's it's a little bit different in the fact that 
and this is all in the trailer, so I'm not spoiling anything, but he had someone robbed his house in front of his wife and kids and he didn't do anything, even though he kind of could have. And so everyone started like making comments and he like, he realizes, Oh, maybe the pendulum swung. Maybe I overcorrected. That was his phrase. So then he goes to hunt down the robbers and it becomes this ongoing vigilante thing that gets out of control, but is a lot of fun. And hilarities ensue. Yeah. And he's a funny actor. You know, the guy that plays better. Call he is. He's a great, he's a, Hidden gem. I don't think he's a hidden gem anymore, but he's um, he was a he was a writer on SNL with Conan. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize mm-hmm. that. And, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. He he's one of the guys that I be, I believe it was him. He worked on it's the greatest comedy on writing team that has ever existed for the Dana Carvey show. You know who was all on that, right? Uh-uh. So it's him, Roberts, Roberts. Uh, I always have a hard time pronouncing his last name. Robert Smeagol, the guy behind TV, I'm a fun house. And then the dog that's on, on the irreverent dog or whatever. And, um, Stephen Colbert, uh, Steve was, uh, Steve Carell and Louis CK. <laughs> so like all these dudes and Dana Carvey and maybe one or two other people like, like, I mean, legit, like if you were to add up their, all the money that these guys have like made post that it's a lot of money, <laughs> and uh, they just put them they like advertise the show in the wrong way at the wrong time, and it bombed. But like apparently, if you go back and and just watch it on its own, it's absolutely hilarious. <laughs> nice. But it just was kind of almost like you know it's, it's kind of an example of uh, how much how timing actually really counts with with, with with a lot of that stuff. They premiered. Their episode, their episode premiere was after Home Improvement, um, Home Improvement episode where uh, JTT, you remember the JTT, you had a sister. Was it the drugs episode? No, it's the one where he like almost had cancer or something. And it's like really serious and it's like this sad thing. And then it's like the Dana um, Carvey show, which is just like, you know, like just (laughs) black humor off the wall, like kind of somewhat like, you know. So it didn't set it up well. No, it was no. doomed. They said it was doomed to fail from the very beginning. So. Dude, that's so but, funny. I've been watching a lot one of. Thing old... I do want to tell you. Oh, sorry, you go. No, no, it's easy to fall into. I don't want to say a rut, but just kind of that thing. You know, I think me and Aaron probably started eating poorly around that time and just kind of eating out a lot and never really quite shook part of that. And so I would just, it's okay. Just, just, just be careful. And if you need to go, like, listen, if you need to go to counseling. Have I got a thing for you? No, but if, if um, <laughs> betterhelp.com <laughs> slash fox. The Matrix has ended. It's a new BetterHelp read from your friend, Luke. Uh, so you guys have heard us talk about I'm a BetterHelp before at length. And we're going to talk about Better. That's H-E-L-P again. Listen, BetterHelp can help you get hooked up with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start um, communicating with one in less than like 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional um, counseling done uh, securely online. You've, you've heard it talked about on our show. You've heard it talked about like a whole bunch of podcasts. Look, guys, God wants you to find from a healing. God wants you to be the person he created, he create you to be. And if you're over the age of 25 and you haven't been to counseling, now is the time. BetterHelp is committed to um, facilitating great therapeutic um, matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It is more affordable than 
traditional offline counseling and this is cool financial aid is available so um, better help wants you to start i'm living a i'm happier life today go to their website read all all of the testimonies that are on there posted daily and guess what guys guess what Go to betterhelp.com slash some foxes. That's better com slash foxes. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been, have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in, in all 50 states. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and Catching Foxes. Listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash foxes. So if you go to better H-E-L-P, you will get 10 percent off your first month that is fantastic thank you to BetterHelp for sponsoring yet another episode of everyone's favorite podcast catching foxes take that catholic stuff you should know chasing foxes my ass no but truly like if if you guys need to go to couples counseling i would advise going on the sooner rather than later the good thing is the hospital one thing the hospital where we uh so shannon so we recorded the episode on a Wednesday, and then Thursday morning, we had to go down to Sugarland, and we did the D and uh, DNC operation. And um, you know, we were there's a couple tears, but mostly we were okay. You know, I'm in pre-op, kids are with friends playing. You know, no big, and we're just talking, and I'm trying to make her laugh, and we're doing all the things. And uh, you know, she has to get into the hospital gown, you know, get changed, and I'm like boobies, you know, and. Just trying to be silly, right? And she's laughing, yeah. and we're we're having we're we're okay, right? And then they wheel her off, and I'm like, oh. you know, I just deflate because it's like, well, I got nothing but waiting room time. So instead, I had to go to the bathroom. So I took stuff out to the van, you know, kind of organizing my life. I'm like, it's a thirty minute anesthesia, fifteen minute procedure, and then an hour afterwards for them to come out. And uh, so, you know, for me, it's just waiting. There's nothing to do. There's no conversations yeah. to be had. No one's yeah. talking to me. You know, you're just kind of alone waiting for something to happen. And, um, But in the end, in the end, uh, the good news is Catholic hospitals bury the remains of all of their miscarried children. And at Mount Olivet in June, that's when it's all scheduled. Um, they'll do a service and Father David Huss will, will do the rite of committal. And we'll just be able to awesome. have a space. And they said that if I wanted to build a box for our daughter, I could. So I'm like, okay, I got two months to figure out how to do this, a month and a half to figure out how to do this. So I got the purple heart wood right here next to me, and uh, I'm going to try to make that happen. But other than that, you know, it's just a daily thing, you know. Yeah. And it's okay. Yeah, and it's okay. Like, and we don't have to talk about it. It is. I don't want to. No, it's I just. No, I love you guys, and I, I, you know, um, it's important to me that you. Um, my hope for you during this, which sounds very odd, but I, I just, I hope that um, you're able to process it, because I think it's very, very easy to try to not to. Well, you don't think I'm, me I'm, drinking I'm all this beer in front of you doing. is uh, <laughs> is putting your mind at ease? <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm just saying, like, I'm, I mean, more in like two, three, four, five months from now. You know, and it, it and, and it does get better. It, it does. It honestly, like it, it. Just for me, the hardest time is. Uh, I think, like, if we didn't have Everly and we were talking about this, I would be having a very, very hard time yeah. right now. Yeah, I agree. I agree. You know, 
So, uh, so well, on a lighter note, <laughs> Father David Morier, <laughs> <laughs> do we want to do this or do we want to wait? I mean, I do want to bring it up because I, I do have things that we need to talk about with this. But if you don't want to talk about this, it's two things that are very heavy and awful back to back. Well, here's so, the thing is I don't know what to say other than my – so why don't you introduce it? We, let's, we can talk about it for a little bit. Are you sure? Yeah. I don't mind. I, I we can we can table this. No, I mean I guess I, I don't have anything else. I, I mean I don't either. I'm so busy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so. What are you reading right now, Luke? Uh, nothing. Oh, an an accounting book. Really? That's the focus right now. Still. Yep. For the next six yep. weeks. Yes. Three weeks. Uh, I if I can be done with this thing in two and a half weeks, I will be very very happy. Okay. Okay. I think there's a chance. I think there's a chance. <laughs> Take a chance on me. Nice. I had to kind of change a little bit. I feel like it's the second time I've heard that. I feel like Aaron was singing that song earlier. Oh, uh, it's That's a weird. God incident. Luke. Oh, yeah, seriously. Oh, we've, um, yeah, I, I had to change how much I was reading too much and doing too much. But I, it turns out I kind of like accounting. I could never do it. But I, li- I, I like doing math. When I have, if, if I know how to do it, um, it's like it's. I actually kind of like doing math. I don't know if I'd ever want that to be my job, but I like doing math. So it's kind of, and I'm getting into the math part where I'm like, ooh, three plus, ooh, okay. Oh, if I hit this, it does two zeros at once. <laughs> um, so I had to go to a yeah. presentation for our building committee because we're building a, uh, an exquisite chapel, Our Lady of the Angels, uh, with a 27 relic, uh, reliquary. Awesome. We have, St. Peter, the Apostle Relic, first class. We got St. Simon, St. Jude, Mary Magdalene. Questionable. Rich suburban parish. Uh, We didn't pay money for it. You can't pay money for relics. Uh, Are you kidding? It's the Catholic Church. Of course you can. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, What are you talking about? The Vatican finances are on the up and up. Um, (laughs) There's a whole movement, you may have heard of of it, called Protestantism. Very much based on that fact. Shut up, you. Uh, uh, but no, we're <laughs> we're building this chapel, and uh, I had to go to this meeting, and it's a building committee meeting. Talk about you know all the new expenses that arise when you have building during COVID with all the shortages and stuff. And so we're going through all this, and these two dudes who are just rock stars. They help run our finance council, and they had an Excel spreadsheet where you know these are men who have made Excel bend to their will, you know, kind of thing. And they're like, go over here and put X in this box on the third page. And he put an X, and once he put an X, it factored in potential costs. And he goes, go back to that first page. Now you'll see where we run into a deficit in 19 months. Now this is an issue. And I'm like, this is voodoo. Kill them. Burn them. Burn them. (laughs) It was so cool. Uh, Sir, teach me your techne ways. No, that's that's awesome. (laughs) So it was really cool. I want to become your – I pledge my my ever-dying loyalty. Just help me save Padme. What? This is just an Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> no, you are a Sith Lord. I know it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, but I do, you know, I mean, so here's the fun things that I that I am learning. Can't read my handwriting there. Um, behavioral aspects of the budget process. It's up to employees of an organization to come as close as possible to achieving the budget. It's really attitudes. People are the answer. Their attitudes, their needs, and their desires. 
More input equals they're more likely to achieve the budget. Budget and motivation. Motivation. <laughs> Anyways. Good God, that's I funny. like it. I, it. It is, but it's I I I do like. I mean, it's the kind of stuff where like if you have like a mind like us and you like to think about how stuff works and like what yeah. it means for like all of humanity, it actually can get kind of interesting. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. So yeah. Okay. Hey, Luke, why don't you ask me? Again, what am I reading? Well, sorry. What are you reading? Man, I'm glad. I'd love you... to not zone out right now. <laughs> no, man. I just crushed Jesus and the Dead Sea Scrolls by uh, Dr. Bergsma. Holy... He's from Franciscan, right? Yeah. Holy crap. Okay. Holy Good stuff. crap. What an excellent introduction for a Catholic into the Dead Sea Scrolls. It is hmm. awesome. It is pithy. There's your accounting calculator. Thank you. Uh, it is, <laughs> it is so funny. And one of the, the second to last chapter is called the reformation and works of the law or something like that. And the only time in an ancient text where the phrase works of the law is used besides eight times in Galatians and Romans is in the dead sea scrolls. And there's a document basically called the works of the law. And it's so fascinating because this document found in, you know, 19, 19- 47 or whatever this individual document i think it's for mmt i think um it is it is literally what the catholic church said it was 10,000 uh, 10, 2000 years ago 1900 years ago works of the law refers wow. to the ceremonial ritual life of israel not the moral law and it made a distinction and so in this document hmm. it's all about observance of the Sabbath and keeping things ritually pure and clean, all this stuff. And the reason why this is a big deal is because Martin Luther in, uh, you know, 1520 or whatever said that works of the law in Romans chapter three, for you are saved by faith, apart faith alone, apart from works of the law. He added the word alone. He said that works of the law is any attempt for a man to justify himself based on his own works. Self-justification is the hmm, number yeah. one type of idolatry. Yeah. And it's like super insightful, the stuff that he says. Like self-justification is a form of idolatry. Like I really do think there's a lot of insight there. But that's not what St. Paul was saying. St. Paul was saying he was – Martin Luther was saying he was using the works of the law as like an example. But it refers to all good works trying to justify yourselves. But it turns out, at a document written around the time of St. Paul being alive, works of the law was a common phrase to describe the Jewish ceremony laws and ritual purity laws. and all. It describes the stuff that the Catholic Church maintained, especially through huh. St. Jerome, for centuries. And it's so fascinating. St. Thomas Aquinas, it refers to the governance of the nation state of Israel and the ceremonial laws. It does not refer to the moral law. We still have to keep that. And it's so fascinating to see the the Dead Sea Scrolls. Number one, if you don't know who the Essenes are, it is the most fascinating thing in church history. It is, is so that a segue where we're supposed to go? Who are they? Um, no, because I just think I'm kind of fascinating. But anywho. Yeah, I mean, the thing that I don't understand. So when you read the Essenes, you feel like you're reading the Gospels. You feel like like the, the guy, the, the main guy that like reformed them and organized them, he's called the Teacher of Righteousness. He says things that sound exactly like Jesus. Right. And the funny thing is, so then I remember I was reading the Jewish encyclopedia, like a good <laughs> My grandfather boy, had that. And it said uh, that, you know, many have surmised, <laughs> many have surmised that John the Baptist and Jesus were Essenes because of their beliefs. And they said, but of course, this is absurd. It's not true. And I was like, 
why is it absurd and it's not true? Well, it's absurd and not true because the Essenes thought we need to triple down on the works of the law in order to bring the Messiah. And in the age of the Messiah, it'll be even more so the works of the law, whereas St. Paul's argument is Jesus freed us from the works of the law through faith, right? So it's just so fascinating to see, no, works of the law does not refer to works in general. It refers specifically to the ceremony of Moses, <laughs> circumcision, Sabbaths, feast days, uh, you know, yeah. Yeah. Which is why St. Paul says oh, of the spirit or of okay. the flesh, particularly no, that, that of circumcision. Sense. That's of the flesh. It's, 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 yeah. Well, the flesh means fallen human nature, but the flesh also means like your, your wang, your foreskin. Like St. Paul says, if you started with the spirit, why are you now ending with the flesh? Right. And so it, it is so fascinating. So the reason why I got into it is I was listening to John DeRosa's podcast, um, the classical theist, and he interviewed this guy, Dr. Matthew Thomas. I think I mentioned it last time, but he has St. <laughs> Paul's Works of the Law in Second Century Church, and he never mentions the Essenes. And all the documents that he goes through, the letter of Barnabas, the Didache, all these things that I've, other than Didache, I've never read, they all hold the same thing. It's like the Catholic tradition is uniform on this until St. Augustine, and even St. Augustine goes back to it. And so it's just so fast. I don't know. I just love this stuff. And I have to teach it tomorrow. So it's all in my head, you know, kind of thing. No, so. I actually think that that's, that's actually really cool. I, yep. I, I think. Yep, there it is. Just You know how back in um, of the 60s when everything got ruined, uh, there was that push towards the historical Jesus. And just like, how do we know? How do we know he did this? If, like, you know, and then all of a sudden, if, if yep. it's not true, that means that the whole thing might not be true or, or we need to rethink it. Uh, what sucks about that, there are yeah. many things. Um, but one of them is. You lose that stuff <laughs> because it becomes about um, – yeah. it becomes this like weird idol that you have to chase to somehow convince yourself that perhaps the, the priest who was really unmean to you is, is an asshole, you know, or something, you know, or like, you know, I mean, there are legit issues mm -hmm. with the church as we will discuss. Um, but it uh, – it just like you like you lose that stuff of how that can actually kind of reinf like help you understand what was going on you know during a period of time that we really I think for the most part most people don't know about it's like yes there was a thing he you know he died he rose again Saint Paul then three hundred years and and it it's that period that I think we have yeah. lost because we're trying to find things to help us go like is this is this real or not as opposed to say. How much? Like, how can this even um, help me deeper understand who Christ and who the apostles were and who what this is all about? Yeah, yeah. And my big thing is with studying this stuff is we pretty so like you know I'm a big fan of Scott Hahn and Jeff Cavins when they do their whole salvation history stuff, Genesis to Jesus, the Bible timeline, and one of the funny things that Jeff Cavins says is. You know, a lot of Catholics will try to read the Bible in a year, right? I don't know if you ever tried to do that. And you hear these stories of you, you buy a new Bible, you sit down, you start to read it, January 1, Genesis 1 and 2, and you go through it. And then about mid-February, you hit Leviticus and you're mad at the world, right? Because you're going through Leviticus and it's just like these tedious ritual laws and you're like, what does any of this mean? And then you give up and you don't do it. So Jeff Cavins came up with. Here's the the 13 books of the historical narrative that you, Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Judges, Joshua, Judges, First and Second Kings, Samuel, First and Second Kings, and you go through it and you get the whole narrative, and then you figure out where the stuff gets plugged in, and you can be like, oh, I see the big picture. Now I see where these smaller things fit in, and Ascension Press really did a badass job with the 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 whole the fold out. Mm -hmm. 
on the Bible timeline where they plug in like world events that are that's, happening. That's cool. And the individual, you know, biblical events that are happening during the big. Yeah, it's really good. But here's the problem. And this is the glaring problem with all of these things. And I didn't read that. I didn't realize this until about eight months ago when I was reading the Jewish encyclopedia <laughs> originally, like a good little boy. And one of their comments was, um, you know, most first century Jews, they learn how to read. The first thing they read was Leviticus. And I was like, huh. And I remember listening to, you know, I don't know. It might have been Ben Shapiro. It might have been. No, you know who I think it was? I think it was that rabbi that was on Dave Rubin with Bishop Barron. It might have been him saying things like, you know, every Jew knows Leviticus, especially the ancient Jews, because that's how they lived their daily life. And I think it's so funny that if you don't like we read the stories. Noah with a little giraffe head popping out the top window of the ark, right? Like Adam and Eve and their, her long strategic hair covering her nipples. And, uh, you know, Cain and Abel. And Cain's like pissed running at Abel with a club. And, you know, we hear the Noah getting drunk and then weird things happening <laughs> afterwards. Luke will never forget that when he studied that in his, his Bible <laughs> class. And he had to stop reading because he was like, I don't know if I, how I feel about this. <laughs> it's beautiful, Luke. He looked upon his father's nakedness. Luke, it's beautiful. No, but um, the whole thing that with it for me was when you realize that someone belongs to a ritual system and you don't live according to the ritual system, you just learn stories, you can't understand when people from that system begin talking yeah. about their system, about their belief, because they're just giving references. They presuppose you have that knowledge. So I don't know if you know this. There's a famous rabbi named Rabbi Maimonides. Have you ever heard of him? Uh, I, the only rabbi I really know is Modest Yahoo, so. <laughs> and he's not a rabbi. Oh. Uh, yeah, no. He's, I just assumed. <laughs> his beats have taught me so much. <laughs> and a king with that, I got on. <laughs> no, but Rab- <laughs> Rabbi Maimonides was a medieval rabbi. Um, Thomas Aquinas quotes from him a lot. But he, uh, he tried to write a creed for Jews. And it, everyone roundly mocked him for doing that. And the phrase that we say to this day, the Jews say to this day is, we have our, our deeds instead uh, deeds instead of creeds. Like our great cre- creeds are the, the acts of worship of Yom Kippur and Hanukkah mm. and all this. And That's it's actually, it's, yeah, it's really beautiful when you think about it, right? Like you know about Yahweh's relationship to Israel through praying of Yom Kippur prayers and Passover and doing the Seder meal and re- Daddy, why is tonight different from all other nights or whatever it is? You know, which you is begin- interesting because the, the masses really like that as well. Mm-hmm. It re- it, which you, I wonder if there's a connection there. No, a hundred percent. The mass comes from temple liturgy and the fact that we don't see. So this was my whole segue into the point that I already forgot, <laughs> which was <laughs> sorry because we are a Gentile church, we lose sight of the Jewishness of Jesus's daily life. So like, for instance, there's only like two church fathers that ever wrote commentaries on Leviticus origin and some other guy or uh, yeah. On Leviticus. No one really talked and about origins. It. Not a saint, right? Right. No, no, no. He, he had some troublesome beliefs and uh, his students maybe castrated themselves or maybe <laughs> said that he was castrated. Long story. Apocatastasis. <laughs> we don't have to get into it, but tomato, tomato. I like row. origin a lot. And Origen was a super genius, and von Balthasar draws a lot from Origen. But um, Origen, he wrote a commentary on Leviticus, and that's the problem. The problem is if every Jewish man, if every Jewish person, but especially the Jewish men, 
were raised from boyhood or childhood to know Leviticus inside and out because that affected their daily life more than anything else because it's the way they lived. And we don't know Leviticus except tangentially. Then we're not going to understand when they talk about sacrifice and blood and all of that stuff. We're not going to be like, oh, of course, an animal was sacrificed to get its blood, not to put its – like Protestants have this thing called substitutionary atonement where you put the sin on the animal, then you kill the animal. But when you actually read it, if you put your sin on the animal, the animal's unclean and can't be sacrificed. You kill the animal to get its blood because its life is in the blood. So you're throwing life like a cleanser on yourself, on the temple furniture, on the Holy of Holies to purify it from the pollution of sin. Well, that has a totally different view of Jesus and his shed blood on the cross and how why we talk about baptism as cleansing us because baptism is huh. – washing our robes in the blood of the lamb, right? That's the whole point is it, it removes the pollution of sin from me. Yeah. You know, and in Exodus 24, it's called the blood of the covenant. And what does Jesus say when he starts the new covenant? This is the blood of the new and everlasting covenant, which will be shed for you and for all. What did Moses do with the blood of the covenant? He killed a bunch of cows, got their blood, and then flung it on the people after he read them the book of the covenant. And so you have this like beautiful symmetry that very rarely do we see because we don't practice it. So now I've printed off not just Romans and Galatians, but now Leviticus. I spent an hour and a half reading five chapters of Romans this morning. I just went over and over and over. And now I'm going to do that to Leviticus just to get it into my brain, into my soul. Oh, man. That's actually pretty. Hmm. Gomer. What? Online dating is a new norm. I'm pretty sure it's equal, or in some cases, a more prominent way that couples of all ages and backgrounds are now meeting each other. And we can even do faith-focused dating. Wouldn't you rather start a relationship with someone you already know you share the same faith? Uh, duh. There's a dating app that is the largest dating app specifically for single Catholics. Unlike other dating websites that encourage casual relationships and mortal sin, Catholic Match primarily strives to help singles connect for the purpose of sacramental marriage. They also provide a community, get this, Luke, where Catholics can share their challenges of living a single life, and you get to make new friends. It's all good, baby. These days, it's harder than ever for single Catholics to meet each other. Catholic Match is here to support single Catholics from all over the world by allowing them to easily, not difficultly, easily connect online. Are you telling me that they can create their own Catholic love story? How fantastic is that? They can be their own Tom Hanks and Meg, Meg Ryan. Every single week, Catholic Match gets wonderful new stories from Catholic couples who met on their service. Bam! Move over, Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan. Catholic Match is making it easier than ever for Catholic singles to connect. Luke, you can use their app or their website to start connecting right now with other singles through messaging or doink, 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 video chat. It's super easy to get started with Catholic Match. Heck yeah! Everyone can make a free profile in just minutes and start meeting other Catholic singles now. Luke, where do they go? I'm so glad that you asked me, Mike. They can go to catholicmatch.com slash foxes. What's that address again? catholicmatch.com slash foxes. One more time for the old people in the back. catholicmatch.com slash foxes. I'd like to thank Catholic Match for sponsoring yet another episode of Catching Foxes. Faith-focused dating. Oh, yeah. I remember reading some stuff by Ratzinger about, uh, like, how b baptism is a lot more, like, about that stuff. That was really good. I don't remember any of it. But I remember, like, ooh. And it's, <laughs> it, um, see, this is the stuff that I think, this is why I get so frustrated with everything. Uh, just because I feel like because of, of 
techne, it just feels yeah. confusing yeah. and pointless because it's like you're 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 almost speaking two different languages. Yeah, and I'm I'm waiting you know? for people to roll their eyes. Like if you don't have faith and you don't know the Old Testament story, you don't know the history of Israel. This stuff becomes gobbledygook, right? Like people are like really really quickly. Yeah. And so like when and and even for Protestants, my hope is that they would be able to see the harmony of old and new and be like, "Oh, the sacraments make sense." In the Old Testament, they were signs and seals, but they weren't sacraments. They didn't actually confer grace. They were signs of God's presence, but they didn't actually give the grace. And now in the New Testament, it gives the grace because the Holy Spirit is given to all of us through faith, not works of the law. And so that's like so powerful for me in my own faith. Like, for instance, when you talk about the cross, it wasn't an angry father brutally murdering his son by pouring out his wrath on his son because his son now is guilty. In fact, that view is condemned in the catechism. Like you in the Council of Trent, you're not allowed to hold that view as a Catholic. Huh. Yeah. Do you feel you, like a lot of times that's how people try to ex- try to even I did. It. Absolutely. Yeah. Because I mean, because there's a lot of language that sounds like that in the Bible, especially Isaiah 53, right? By his stripes, we are heal- healed. Upon Stripper. him was laid the guilt of us all, right? Mm-hmm. All that stuff. But the, the heart and soul of it is like the son who loves the father perfectly, obeys the father perfectly, even when the nations rage and come against God's anointed one, right? Like even when the corruption of the people reaches its pinnacle evilness, he still is faithful, right? Even though he does not want to die and cries out three times, he still views it like the language of a cup. Why does he say cup? Father, let this cup pass, right? But not my will, but your be done. Mm-hmm. He says the word cup because it's a libation offering and unbloody offering is the cup. The cup of the bread and wheat or wheat and wine are unbloody offerings and animal sacrifice is a bloody offering. A bloody sacrifice. And so a sacrifice is not a punishment. A sacrifice is a gift. You gift the animal to God. God gifts you with its cleansing blood to free yourself from sin and guilt. The only time you put your sin on an animal is when you did it to the scapegoat and then you chased it outside Jerusalem. You didn't sacrifice it. You got rid of it because it was now unholy. It was unclean. So does this mean – this is going to sound weird, but does this mean that in the Chronicles of – Narnia, that the analogy that he does in there when he has Aslan die because the old laws have been broken, there's a payment that is due. Is that actually a, the wrong analogy? Okay, I would if, say but, no. I would say no because if you remember, um, so in, because um, C.S. Lewis somewhat stays away from that. He stays away from theories of atonement in mere Christianity. He will mention some of them, but he doesn't advance any of them. And the Catholic Church does not either, necessarily. It does promote some, but it, it only condemns the Calvinist view of God taking his fatherly wrath out on the Son for our sake. But what, what Aslan did, if you remember, and I talked about this with my daughters, I said, what is, why did the queen have the right to kill Edmund? And she said, well, he betrayed it's like, right, so what did they call that? What did the queen call that? From the deep magic, from the dawn of time, I get all betrayers. All betrayers belong to me. Remember that? And so she took him to the stone table, and then Aslan took his place, 
right? So there's the notion of substitution. And there is some substitution in Catholic theology. It's in the catechism like 607 or something. But um, it's not the same thing as what the, the Lutherans and Calvinists mean. But he says – this is my fa- – literally, Luke, it's my favorite part. So when Aslan resurrects and the girls come and they're like, but we saw you die. He's like, yes, the queen knew the deep magic from the dawn of time, a.k.a. justice. But the queen did not know of the deeper magic from before the dawn of time. And I remember the first time I read it, I was like, that is so dumb. What a, what a MacGuffin. You know, it's like, well, there's a bigger magic from earlier, long time ago. And then I realized, oh, wait, it's love. Justice is the deep magic from the dawn of time. But love lives in the emperor beyond the sea and within Aslan and the Holy Spirit, right? Like, that's what love is. Love is the very life of the Trinity. So when you surrender yourself in love... Time itself works backwards and the stone table cracks, meaning justice itself is meant, is met and surpassed by the love of God. And so when you look at Catholic theology, they don't want to emphasize, while they talk about Jesus taking our place and, you know, the Son of God became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God, there is that element, but it's not the wholeness of it, as if Jesus is a miserable sinner, right? You can't, he's a sin offering, he's not a miserable sinner. Aslan was a sin offering. Holy out of love. Jesus says in um, John's gospel, uh, you know, no greater love has a man than this, than he who lays down his life for his beloved. And the, the other problem with the, that penal substitutionary atonement is it pits the father against the son. In the words of R.C. Sprawl, God the father looked at Christ on the cross and said, God damn you. Right? And that's an opposition, which is why he says, that's why Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I've forsaken you because you're accursed in my eyes. I'm damning you. Because you're bearing the guilt of humanity, right? So you're taking the bullets so that someone else – but the problem is, like, it's not really just or even loving to punish an innocent person. But there is this element of substitution that makes sense when, you're, when it's a gratuitous act of love. And so that's kind of the, the point that Lewis is, is trying to get at. Of course, Lewis is an Anglican, and there's a lot of Reformed theology within Anglicanism. Man, you are blowing my mind right now. So <laughs> – it's interesting because the um, – the and I, I don't know these terms at all, so I'm going to screw this up. So when we talk about the substitution idea, that's the idea of like Christ is like we are the ones who should be crucified, but it is Christ who takes our place in terms of that, you know, whatever. And that's – if we view it as just being that, that that's all the, what the act of – although Calvary is just that, that's wrong. It's not, it's not the whole picture, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I feel like – the view towards that is a very selfish view. Okay. Because it's always, it's really about me. And when you look at the other one, which is the atonement part of like the blood of Christ being the thing that kind of like, as opposed to this thing that dies, but it's this thing that like we, that is used for the transformation of like, of us into small G gods, yeah. you know, into, to be able to partake in the divine life of, of God to be like, to be Christ-like, um, which I'm fascinated by that idea of like we're called to be divine. I think, yeah. yeah, I'm so fascinated by that. I think that is insanely cool. Um, the the line that gets me every time is he is by nature what we will be by grace. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it necessarily demands repentance because it's it's not about like you it's not like well i'm good thank you it's like you're you like have been cleansed now go and sin no more 
Yeah, walk in the cleanliness. Yeah, you have to actually have to do something about that. Yeah, which I think is interesting, given the fact that we are creatures with like we. Ha- I think the hardest thing I think for a lot of people to wrap their minds around. Okay, let me let me just back up here. A very very hard thing for me to wrap my mind around was how free my will actually is. <laughs> yeah, I, I I do think we buy into this kind of idea of just you know like God is magic and he can make everything okay. And there's a there's truth. To, God is magical. There there is truth in the sense that God is powerful and God can do big things. And through through him we can do big things. Uh, like Peter rose people from the dead. You know, or at least like one person like that's like we know that. And so it um, but it how much freedom I actually have and how much responsibility I have in my walk with it's God who does everything. But I like God moves and we have to at least respond. And I don't know if this is making any sense at all. I cannot hear you in the slightest. That's so funny. I was talking to myself. I was opening my window because it's so hot in here. And I had my earbuds in to listen, but I thought it was also the microphone. So I just started talking like a crazy person. Um, no, the way I like to teach it, right, is it's a very Eastern way of approaching all of this stuff. But you can go right back to the church father who said, what Christ is by nature, we shall be by grace, which is this. Like our salvation began the moment the word became flesh in the womb of the Virgin Mary. What is salvation? The union of man with God in Christ Jesus. Who is Jesus? The union of divinity and humanity in their fullness, right? He is fully divine and fully man. So Jesus is ontologically, that is his very being, right, is this union of the word made flesh, right? The union of divinity and humanity. So that's who Jesus is, and that occurs when when the Holy Spirit overshadows the Virgin Mary, right? First moment of conception, Jesus is the union of the second person of the Trinity who becomes the son of man and in being the son of Mary. The cool thing about that is how do we get salvation? The humanity of Christ is in perfect union with the divinity of Christ. Son though he was, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And in perfect obedience fulfills the law. In fulfilling the law, he completes it and thus becomes the perfect offering to the Father. Right? So in the book of Hebrews, it says, in burnt offering, in the blood of bulls and goats, you take no delight, but a body you have prepared for me. Therefore, I have said, behold, I come to do your will, O Lord. That's what Jesus, that's what God the Son was saying when he became human. Like, uh, I'm coming, I'm, I'm going to, you know, receive this flesh to be an offering for you. And so you think about, well, what did Jesus accomplish? Well, he died on a cross. He rose from the dead. Why does that matter? Because his body is his human nature, right? Or is, you know, it's the sign, the outward sign of his human nature. So what he did in the Paschal mystery is the union of humanity and divinity. That never, even in death, I heard an Eastern Orthodox priest say this. I thought it was so beautiful. Even when Jesus died, the divinity was still united to the human body, the corpse, which is one of the reasons why Jesus Christ triumphed over death and why we have no fear of death as Christians because divinity united to a dead human body uh, divinized even death. And I was like, that's a really cool way of thinking about it. Like Hmm. even in the moment of death, God remained perfectly united. And so for me as a pledge of what will happen to me in death, like he transforms the very nature of death by still being united to that dead, that dead body, right? And then he resurrects it, obviously, in glorified form. But so you start to look at obviously. all this stuff and you line it all up and you say, like, 
So what is, what is the point of salvation? It's not to take away my sins. My sins are taken away so that we can have the union of humanity with divinity in Christ Jesus. Theosis. That's, yeah, that's... When was the last time you heard a homily about that? <laughs> Let's not go down that, that road. Um, when was the last time you heard a talk about that? <laughs> <laughs> Let's not go down that road. Um, Evangelizationbootcamp.com. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. <laughs> I was wondering if you were going to bring that up. And I was like, mm, not here. Ah, uh, ah, uh, ah. Uh, that's not the magic word. Ah, uh, ah, uh, ah. Uh. It'll be no, in the show notes. It's, fine. it's totally fine. Oh, my gosh. No, of course. Everyone should go. It's go over and, and um, Dave Van Vickle. Go. Attend. Go, go, go. Um, I mean that. No. Huh. This is the kind of stuff that we get robbed of when we live in a culture completely built on technique. Yeah. Like, true. This is because it, it makes it, it like it doesn't like where's the profit in that. So it's like, well, there's no point in this. Or this yeah, is, East, you know, like Eastern Catholics, Eastern Orthodox who who really go out of their way to hold on to mystery keeps them within the world of symbols more than it does us. So I would say that a communist Russia would do more damage to the ortho, the Russian Orthodox Church than to a Catholic Church because it's almost like because of the, the Enlightenment took place within Europe, the Western Europe, um, we've been beaten by techne and scientism for so long that it's kind of like that we've dumbed down the symbolic representation of the church's teachings and we just you know we've reduced it to abstractions and rationalisms and pithy little sayings and all this stuff whereas if you have atheistic communism which is hardcore materialism it has to like it's going to try its best to annihilate a mystery right there there's no place for mystery in scientific communism there's no place for mystery right and uh yeah i just i just think of that as like um it's such a poverty of humanity that we are losing a whole way of engaging in thought in the world. God can bless our you, artists. Yeah, yeah, really, honestly. Can I give you an, an interesting example of this? Yeah. Okay, and before, before before I get into this, I want to bring up just one 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 quick thing. Cool. I, I almost didn't want to talk about this because I feel like the um, case of the uh, police officer who killed um, – George Floyd is much, 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 much more important. But uh, then the given... incarnation, Luke? No, no, no. Then this this okay. one point I'm going I'm going to make. Okay. One thing I wanted to bring up. So I I, I just want to say, but I, I don't know what else we can say about that besides like I'm glad that um, justice was done. Um, I um, and given the, the heaviness of this of this whole episode for, from last week and, and this time, yeah. I, I think we can. I think it's okay to take a bit of a break, but I, I just want to acknowledge it. Like you know, that's on my mind. I don't want. I, I don't want people to think that we are not talking about it on purpose. So that's all. We're woke still. <sighs> okay. So um, nope. <laughs> I am actively not. Uh, I I I do think that's kind of a hard thing to like. <sighs> That whole thing it's it's not it's it's okay it's not a hard it's not a hard line to tread it's just the response is a hard it can be somewhat not, not even the response that is a wrong way to put it. Are we talking about wokeism or are we talking I about I don't the even know I'm so tired of talking about wokeism I um I am too but you, we can't separate it from any of this stuff. I try to get my kids a Yahoo or a um YouTube kids account 
Yeah. Right? So it's like only content for 12 and under kids. And I was like, okay, well, they can still probably watch the B family and AFMAO Minecraft videos. Because there's too many times where my kids fire up um, YouTube and there's just butts and boobs and all that stuff on the thumbnails. And they're just innocent kids trying to look at this stuff. And I put on, you know, it's just frustrating. But um, the algorithms have not been good to me. But um, so I fire up YouTube kids, sign up, set up the account. I go to launch it and it's like, here's some recommended videos. And it's like, this is what a six-year-old trans boy is like. You know, like, let's meet another trans kid. And I'm like, what? Like, this is, like, what? Like, this is, this is the, like, you know, this is like the auto-recommended, like, to get yeah. you started, here's four videos. And it's a bunch of six-year-olds getting indoctrinated into wokeism. And I'm like, well, wokeism was about realizing the implicit biases that people have when it comes to race. And now it's about everything and anything that it needs to be under the sun in order to force a progressive agenda. I enjoyed wokeism in the beginning when it told me, like, hey, Gormley, maybe you have some biases that you're not aware of, you know, or that you – or maybe there's elements of racism embedded in your culture that, you know, you didn't realize were there. It's like, okay, let's address this. Now it's like every category you believe is annihilated. I know. And it's – and, and, and like that's what I mean by what's what is tough about it because I want to be able yep. to talk about it, but I I, I don't want to be like you're saying the wrong thing. And I'm like ah, <laughs> like I, I don't like I just want to say that I'm glad that justice has happened, and I feel terrible for George Floyd's family, and I just wish I want healing, and I have thoughts on it, but I don't know what else we can say that hasn't already been said or we haven't said a thousand times. Yeah, yeah. So and just well, and and so tie it back to okay. Tie it back to our conversation, All right. right, with with the whole theosis, right? Like, when you strip, like right now with Black Lives Matter and other, and other woke movements becoming just progressive uh, postmodernism, critical race theory, critical theory, not critical race theory anymore, um, what you have is, number one, oh, gosh, Siri, I said theory, you idiot. I said theory. Damn, Siri. Um, Tim Cook knows. <laughs> you have number one the fact that the poor are still being forgotten which was the whole point originally of marxism is systems of power used to dominate the haves versus used to dominate the have-nots by the haves and it's like oh wow look at all this the have-nots still have not and now we've redefined and, and entered into so many different victim groups that we're ignoring the fact that the poor are just getting the short end of the stick always um but then the other thing is the, that we've talked about before, there's no possibility of redemption. But this is the fascinating thing that I think I love about propaganda when he talks about this stuff is he goes right up to that line where you think you're going to just descend into postmodernism or postmodern critical theory. And then he pulls it back because of the gospel. And the gospel makes him say things like, I'm not perfect, but my skin, like your skin, is divinely designed. And so I can say it's beautiful and you can say it's beautiful and then we can move on, not move on, but like, then we can like grow and we can actually go somewhere. Yeah. yeah but if yeah. we don't believe that the word made, took flesh, then like our hope is not in the name of the Lord who died for our sins and rose for our glory and actually has a plan of the union of the nations in Christ Jesus, but it's politics that'll save us. It's utopia. And now we're back to a soft form 
of utopianism, you know? It's not the proletariat revolution. It's the woke revolution. And it's terrifying because the proletariat revolution led to mass graves. And this seems to lead to, like, cancel culture, right? It's like uh, economic graves. Well, it's, it's a little bit weird because with cancel culture, the very like, – this is why I, I, am, I am fascinated by it to a certain yeah. extent. It's what drives cancel culture I do think actually might prevent it from turning to genocide because – now, I, I know, like, unborn babies – Let's just take that out of the out of the equation for right now, which sounds yeah. cold and awful. I just, yeah, I, I think it's just for the for context here. Black, like, it's the idea that you like. So, where do they get the idea that human beings actually have like dignity, and that your race doesn't de- in your, your race doesn't determine your worth as a, as as a human being? Like, you are like in that your race is. Uh, that it is that racism is wrong. That is a Christian idea. Yeah. That is a Christian idea because it's reality. And it's those things that actually I think will prevent it from getting bad in sense of like actual genocide because of the dignity of life. You know, I don't think it'll ever get to a point where people would be okay with killing another person because they are trans because they are transphobic. Because the essence, because it's coming from a place of like respect for the human, respect for the human person. Yeah, I deeply disagree. Well, well I'm not, I'm not done yet. Ooh, plot twist. <laughs> so, but that's why you're left with all you can do is cancel them. Yeah. And so now I don't think now I now I listen again. Like I understand, I I, do, I understand like the abortion thing. It's but it's it's coming from, it's coming from a place that people have value and people have 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 like a little worth. And you shouldn't now. And it gets a plot, which sounds weird, but it takes that idea and it, it, and then it it it, it, um, it applies it in some ways that I don't agree yeah. with in the sense of um trans issues and other things like like that. I'm not saying those people don't have the value, but I'm saying we just because someone feels or thinks a certain thing doesn't mean we have to 100% say that they're right. Yeah. But what I but I think what what prevents it from going overboard is 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 that like it's 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 kind of like like me too movement, right? It's it's the start of it isn't bad. Like the idea that like hey dudes, don't abuse like the, the women in in your life. Treat them like human beings, not as an like there's it's a very very Christian thing. And I think the reason why it prevents people it, it from getting violent and I mean actually violent, not uncomfortable. I mean like yeah. people being killed or people being yeah, beaten the use to death, of physical force to cause yeah, bodily harm. Is because it's coming from No, I again I'm not saying that it's like I don't care what I don't care what anyone thinks. Um, it there's this weird catch twenty two with it, right? Where the response to like this this idea that life life has um, like life has value, or that people like have a certain um, like a certain like dignity, the response to it at times can be like somewhat horrific. So it's weird. So like all all they can do is cancel because they can't kill. Yeah, I mean, I see I guess where you're. That's, I, that is, I feel that like is, I see that's where you're going what I'm with trying that. to say. But my this is a thing, very poorly cons- cons- constructed thought. This is what happens when me and you <laughs> think of stuff on the fly and go. But let me. I would just say, like, when you dive into the French Revolution, when you dive into the Bolshevik Revolution, when you dive into those things, 
the the reason why the causes are sympathetic in the beginning, why people who might even belong to quote unquote the oppressor class or group or individuals would feel sympathy for the people revolting is because there is an injustice at the basic origin and you're fighting for the sake of human dignity, right? So the constant oppression of the poor by the French aristocracy and the clergy and the and the royalty, you know, um, the first estate and the second estate all being built upon and oppressing the third estate, you know, and just crushing yeah. them under yeah. all that. Yeah. The, there becomes this like the peasant uprisings you can have sympathy for, at, at least in the initial cause, because the cause is just. And this is the thing that I think we don't understand about the nonviolent movement. I one time heard a conservative Jewish guy, what's his name, uh, Prager, someone asked, like, if if the response to Hitler were the same thing that Martin Luther King Jr. emphasized, which was peaceful, nonviolent demonstration. He said Hitler would have just mowed over those people. He would have rolled the tanks right over them and not cared. But see, it's almost like it's not about the person in power. It's about the people. It's about the people who are the silent majority. And it's like if you see an oppressed class and you're like, oh, my God, okay, I get it. It's not good for you, but hold on. Things will be better. It's fine. We'll get through. Like they just can't be bothered from the apathy, right? If you had a whole bunch of people and the public witnessed acts of incredible nonviolence being responded to with incredible violence, right? And it's incredible nonviolence. Like the nonviolence that Martin Luther King engendered, you know, when people are turning fire hoses and blowing off – Layers of skin of little girls who are just standing, you know, like, and seeing their bodies get slammed against fences and pushed down streets. Like, that was horrific. That was horrific. But here's the mm-hmm. deal. That shocked the silent majority of, of decent folks to see that and be like, they weren't even doing anything. They weren't even doing anything. But when the, when the response to this stuff becomes not demonstration but rioting, you lose that side of the argument. Because the silent majority has a reason to doubt your cause being just. They might even have been, oh, yeah, you know, that never should have happened. Yeah, that went too far. I agree. That act of violence. I agree. But, I agree. But what happens when the movement gets co-opted from the beginning by people who want violence? Because the way you know violence is happening is not whether or not the individual is fighting an injustice. They all think they are. Every revolutionary mm-hmm. is fighting some sort of injustice. Is do they in turn dehumanize the oppressor once you dehumanize the oppressor you've paved okay. the I see way what you're saying I see right? what you're saying so martin yeah. luther king jr that's why he said the only way for us to find I justice is by loving our enemy like he really showed the radicalness of like and, and the funny thing is about nonviolence. he was very clear he said if you are afraid of violence you will use nonviolence as an excuse to not act we use nonviolence because it's literally the most powerful tool in our arsenal. Because when you're just the victim, when, when a police officer beats you up because you're standing there saying, I'm not going to be moved until you give me my rights, and there's just pure aggression, and you respond by turning the other cheek, everyone becomes paralyzed that's just silent on the sidelines. And they're like, oh, crap, there's no cause for that. You know? And that's the beauty of the nonviolent response. I don't think that's what exists anymore in the current movements. I don't think I don't think it was ever intended to be like that. No, but, but nonviolence was never a part of the conversation in the beginning. 
of it you was, mean of like of current wokeism of yeah. of especially like the Black Lives Matter women who took it over, right? They were like, we are Marxists, we are revolutionaries, we are here to overthrow the institutional family, you know, like all that stuff. Like they were blatant about that. And I remember talking to someone about that and I was like, what do you feel like is going on? And my buddy was just like, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think they just ruined Black Lives Matter, this person being black. I think they just ruined Black Lives Matter because it's no longer about men being abused by the police. It's this Marxist thing that got co-opted. And now it's going to get violent. And then you had Portu- uh, Portugal. You had uh, <laughs> Portland and Seattle Portland. and all that stuff. Well, I, I do hmm. – okay, because I thought it was going to get more violent than it did. I honestly thought we were going to get to a point of, like, public executions for a bit. I'm kind of surprised that it hasn't. So, okay, when you look at things like the, like the French Revolution, the Russian Revolution, that gets immediately violent. And I'm not saying like, listen. There, there are like, there are like things that I saw from all the riots that are her- that were horrific violence that I am appalled at. That's like, I don't know why people were just okay. I mean, that, I remember seeing this one image of them like they threw like a like a hubcap or whatever like you call it, off a tire like at like a cop's head. We're like, what the fuck are you doing? Like that's yeah. Like, but well, I, I, I agree with you. No, I think you're right. I think what you said was right. The restraint that has been shown, I think, is because so many people, especially in the black community have the example of the crucified savior at the center of their culture. Yeah, and I mean, and that's what this, I mean like like yeah. I think a lot of it is coming from even some of the things for as it relates to like trans and on the gender issues comes from the Christian idea of equality. Yeah, and human dignity. And that's it's, it's 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 a weird warped respect for the human person. Yeah, no, which I is agree. like which is what's terrifying because it's like eventually at some point in time I do think it's going to get bad. I don't think it's – I'm not really convinced it's this. Yeah, the fear so, is the my hatred for my enemy overcomes my fight for human dignity, and I, I dehumanize them out of an act of vengeance, and then yeah. vengeance becomes all that I am. And that's that Rene Girard's scapegoating. We as a community decide you are the problem, even if you're really not – and in a cathartic moment, we kill you, we destroy you, we attack you, we cancel you, we whatever you, we mob on you, we dox you. And well, this you is why I think that. like a lot of um, – oh, I'm sorry. I totally just cut you off there. No, I was just going to say we end up having the violence because that's the way we think we cleanse ourselves of sin, but the sin is inside of us. And that's the problem. And propaganda says that so perfectly. It's like even if you get everything you want, it will still be messed up because you have sin. Like, even if all your dreams come true, it's still, like, in terms of equality and race relations, he's like, yeah. it's still not going to work. Yeah. And I, and this is, I, I just, I, I don't, I don't know what this looks like. And it, it's, it, it is more in my mind just because I'm so busy right now. But um, I, I feel, there are times I feel bad about this because I'm just, like, we're just with work and grad school and, and, and Everly, I don't have time to be as engaged with this as I would like to be. I, my heart is like with this, like my heart is in this, you know, like my heart is, is I want to see, I want to see justice, you know, like I have come way more around to the idea of like, of reparations than I ever thought I would. Um, It's a whole other discussion, but it, I just, I'm so, I don't know what justice looks like. I, I don't, and I, I don't know, and, and that's I, I think that's that's 
that's the hard thing I'm trying to wrap my like wrap my head around. Is I see I see so many of especially people on like especially like white Democrats their response to this like verdict. Did you hear what Nancy, what like Nancy Pelosi said? I don't want to turn this into like a I don't I hate that crap. I was like, look at what Pelosi did now. But it was like, what the hell? And she may have just missed. I'm gonna, I, I'll give her the benefit of the doubt. She may have just like been trying to say something. It just came out very very poorly. Um, she said like. Now George Floyd's death is justified, or or, or something like that. Not, not sorry, sorry. That's that is wrong. But like now his death is, um, like his death, ha- his death has like purpose or meaning. I think is what she was trying to say. Yeah, because there's been this like now a, a, a cop has now finally been con- convicted un- as being unguilty for what they did to a black to a black man. I'm like, what? Are you? And like everyone. W- 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 or was just like maybe try that again, <laughs> like just and I and that's and that's what I mean by that. This kind of like I don't like this thing of like let me just try to say the right thing so that everyone feels good, you know, like feels good about me or about like my 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 response to this. And I just I want to have a response that's like that is rooted in justice and love. And I I don't know what that I don't know what that looks like. I'm trying, and I, I don't. I really, really don't, and I don't. And I'm not, I'm not saying that, like you are doing this. I do think some. I do think a lot of um Catholics are, and it does kind of bother me. But of this idea of just like, well, because like there are some like there are ideas within wokeness that are are that are are Samaritans, and like, what are we called to do to them? Yeah, you know. And I feel like there's people are just, we're too quick as a whole to write it all off. Yeah. And that's and and that's where I, I don't know what it looks like to not do that. I don't. I really, really don't. Because what sucks I do. is I feel like what it looks what? like is the heavenly Jerusalem. Like I mean, the heavenly Jerusalem. Every tribe, nation, tongue, every person under heaven, you know, is found there in the heavenly Jerusalem. And it's funny because I say that because that's the real utopia. Yeah, that's 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 very, and that's, that's what the church yeah. is called to be. But and, but the, but that doesn't mean though that like I just then like call like just like be angry at them though. Absolutely. And the cool thing is there's a, a Lutheran pastor. He ended up starting Free Church of Germany or something like that, and he was martyred by Hitler. His name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I've talked about him before on the show, but mm-hmm. yeah, he's a, he's a fascinating individual. I, I like a lot of his writings, but um, one of the things that he had a conversion, so he was somewhat disenchanted with the Lutheranism of his Germany, and he was going around Europe, and he was in Rome for Easter, and he went to St. Peter's Basilica for Mass. And he looked around and saw every nation. He saw all these black people there from Africa. He saw, you know, all these different Europeans, Eastern Europeans, Asians, like all this stuff. And it shocked him to see the universal church. And it converted, like he had a big conversion experience around the radical nature of the gospel while Europe was becoming increasingly tribalistic. Here was the Catholic Church worshiping on, you know, Easter Sunday, 1932. Yeah, yeah. And there was every tribe and tongue kind of represented. And it was this cool mm-hmm. moment in his life where um, where he encountered, like, this grace moment of, like, wow, this is, what, this is what humanity could be if Christ really did destroy the dividing wall that separated Jew from Gentile. Because it separates whatever walls I erect. In our own lives, in our own culture. Yeah. And this is why yeah. Christians should always be found with the poor. 
because it is so easy once you have a little bit of money to go into that sweet gated community, whether they're physical or not, and remove yourself from the hardship of the world. And so when I see men at my church, and people can talk all the shit they want about wealthy woodlands and blah, 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 no one serves the prisons more than the wealthy suburban men that I do ministry with. And not all of them are wealthy. It's a broad brush. But I have seen men give their give three days a week away from their families and take off from their jobs, their full-time jobs, just to spend time with inmates who look and talk and live a life that is nothing like them. And the men who receive it just say, they say the same thing over and over again. Why do you love me the way you love me? And that's what I want to see. You know, that's what I want. Yeah. That's what I want. Luke, all I can say is be the change. No, no, but I, I hashtag be the change. That's where that stuff comes across as so shallow. But yeah, yep. and, and, and that's what I mean. Like, that's the thing that I want to see where it's just like, am I, I want to do that. I don't know. And I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with what that looks like. I'm, and I I'm just saying the gospel is more radical than Marxism. The gospel is more radical than Marxism. We're just afraid to live it out. I'm afraid to live it out. I'll be honest with you. Like I, I have my fears and you know all that failures and all that stuff. But all right, man, I got to wrap it up. How you doing? I wanted to tell you I haven't still haven't been able to tell you my example, but you're tired, so it's fine. No, no, no. Tell me your example at minute eighteen, one hour and eighteen minutes. <laughs> okay, so this is I'll, I'll keep this really short. The thing I have been paying attention to because it's a sweet, sweet other relief from reality. You heard of the Super League? Oh, what it, was that? It was a Something big in Europe? deal. Yeah, on Sunday it was announced. It was a it was a big, big, big deal. Basically, the top twelve teams, twelve twelve of the top teams out in the Europe, including six Premier League Premier League teams, including my own Liverpool, announced they were going to form a on the breakaway league backed by four billion dollars in debt on financing from Chase Morgan. They were going to form it, okay. It, it uh, they basically were going to form their own version of 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 the of um the playoffs wow where but there wow. they would always be in it they would always be in it and so people everywhere including their own fans and lost their freaking minds and it's not happening anymore and what's so interesting about Whoa. this is like so many americans can't under they like people out i've heard so many so many people out like out here talk about how that doesn't make any sense why can't they just go and do like like we have a closed system you can't get your you like can't have like a team out in like dayton ohio the the like dayton dragons can never get into major league baseball it is a closed off league that's what we are used to yeah in Europe, that's not the case. You have a pyramid. All like even your there's a path from your adult rec league up into the Champions League in Europe, wow. which is where all the that's top teams in Europe. So there's a way to get the and you can go up and down. So I mean, it's quite literally your which bars, is the whole Ted Lasso premise. Yes, they got yes. slid down. Yes, your bars like soccer team actually has a path to the Premier League. It's impossible, but there is an actual path, and it's all based on that. So to them, sports all about like merit. And the weird thing about it, which I think is so interesting, that we can't get our techne minds around this, is that these clubs are actual clubs, clubs that their great grandfathers, like clubs, clubs that their grandfathers belonged to, clubs that they started where they had like a they had like a swimming thing, they had like a they had they had, they had a, uh, like a fencing, you know, they were like things. And there was a working class thing that, like, people who didn't have a lot of money would go to. That's why, like, a, right, right, right. like a lot of the rich elite out in England, they actually – they're the ones who called it – who uh, called it soccer. And they were – they looked down on it because it was a working class game. 
Hell because yeah. of Victorian England being horrible. And so And when um, they played soccer, they were in the boiler room, broiler room of the Titanic. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And their heart went on and some weird <laughs> stuff was going on in that car. And so um, weird sexy stuff. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, like you wouldn't have sold that heart thing like the like like 20, 30 years into it. During during the Great Depression, you you didn't sell it that like, you know, couple a million dollar thing, you just held on to it while your family starved. Yeah, you know, so anyways. Because of some guy you couldn't even give some uh, door space on the floating door in the – Yeah, in the, you had in plenty the... of space. And you're like, no, 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 you're still poor. I'm going to stay here. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm more important than you, Jack. <laughs> but I've got a life to – I've got a life to kind of live and you smell. So, okay, but um, – I'm worth five like, of you. Like, like these, like these, like these teams are such parts of the, like they're parts of the community, and they're the things that the community, like it goes beyond capital. Not everything is a thing that you can just trade and sell, or not everything is an asset. Yeah, and it's so hard for us to view things on like the, like we don't understand why can't I package and sell this? Why can't I have a <laughs> league where they play all the best teams? So like there are okay, get this fact there. So now this is like Manchester like United's own thing, but they okay. they they had like they did a thing for like four or four or five years ago where they found out that they had six hundred million fans. Ninety million were in were in Europe. Over four hundred million were in Asia. Asia. So and that's why these guys want to do this is they've got you know half a billion people in Asia who watch their team. Yeah. And this isn't anything against anyone in Asia. This is just like, so they they yeah. view this team as an asset that they can now take and um, they can um, take and sell, and they don't want to take any of the risk. They, they want to make as much money as they can. But the thing is, it's not an asset. It's a pillar of this community. Yeah. And they've always tried to balance those those two those like two like two things. And so all these American and like on the Middle Eastern and Italian slash um, and um, Spanish like owners who did this said no we're now done with the history part we just want to sell this thing yeah we should be making a whole lot more and people law it's and it it collapsed completely it completely in a matter of in a matter of 24 hours it was basically done so this is where i bring in alistair mcintyre everyone's Mm -hmm. favorite notre dame philosopher do you know anyone that goes to notre dame Hmm, let me check my ndid really quick (laughs) <laughs> I hate you so much. <laughs> but I'm going to root, root for you. Um, no, Alistair McIntyre would talk about, when he talks about um, the goods internal and external to a practice, I was literally just talking about this with someone the other day, where um, you know the, the way you understand it is there are external goods, and the external goods can be found a part of any practice, right? You can be a tier one basketball player, soccer player, great carpenter, you know, movie star, employee, fundraiser. The external goods are money, fame, respect. You know, those are external to the actual practice. But then there are internal goods. And the internal goods, the responsibility of maintaining the internal goods of a practice is what we call an institution. So you have something like FIFA, which is supposed to maintain and encourage the internal goods of the World Cup. That's interesting. Right. So that's what an institution is. So think of the Olympics, and right? What the Olympic fail? Committee is not meant to just set up games and rip people off. But always in every practice, you have the lure of money and external good, money, fame, respect, power, the lure of external goods 
are always on the verge of corrupting the institutions that serve the internal goods. Yeah. That's so, so fascinating. Right. Now you see why well, I love Alistair McIntyre. Yeah, so then – wonderful. So think about the English Premier League and the history, right? The local community, the 90 million, whatever. Those things are what they are because of their embodied meaning and social representation for those communities. There's no such thing as the English Premier League in Dubai, meaning it might be a Dubai Premier League or its equivalent. But this thing is a historical reality. And what people often lose sight of in institutions that are overwhelmed by external goods is they lose sight of what made that thing so valuable. And all they see is the value. As uh, Oscar – I think it was Oscar Wilde who said, the critic is someone who knows the cost of everything but the value of nothing. That's exactly what you had here. They saw the cost, the worth, but not the value. And so what they end up doing being like, well, we got all all this trapped – You know, they're treating it like an asset of a corporation. We have trapped value. We got to break this corporation down, restructure so that we can unleash this untapped value. But what they didn't realize was in doing a a raid of its institutions, they were actually depleting the very thing that made it valuable. I bet you – I bet you, dimes to dollars – that part of the reason why those different Asian countries and the people therein who love the English Premier League, the Manchester United, love it because it's Manchester United. Because there's oh, the whole English ethos mm-hmm. oh, that surrounds exactly. it. Yeah, And yeah. then you uproot it from that thing and you make it a generic liberal democratic nothing. All of a sudden it loses value. You might coast for 10 years, but then it becomes nothing because it is nothing. And, and then that's when it does become you're just cheering a brand. Yeah. And, and, and that's when it does. Like, and that's, what I think, kind of the difference between, like, like U.S. and this stuff is that, like, yes, we have a closed system. And to be honest, I, do, I, don't, I don't like it. But it's what we've always had. And it's just it's not quite, it's not quite the same. But it still has that institution aspect to it as this thing that's always, like, I've oh, been here. But it's yeah. why here in America they will, they will, like, move sports teams. And out in England, that's happened one time, and they lost their ever-living mind. <laughs> like, you, to do that is unfathomable because it's like it would be like, you know, we're going to take um, – Cross Creek Tavern. We're gonna take Cross yeah. Creek um, Tavern out of like the Ohio Valley, and we're gonna put it out in um, out in um, Texas, so we can always go. And it's like yeah. that's then it's not Cross Creek, right? We're gonna take your city's town hall because a lot of people love it, and we're gonna put it in a different city. Well, then it it loses its self. It loses its identity. Yeah, yeah. And that's the problem: is we are rootless cosmopolitans in America. This is what it means to be a part of the democratic age is we're homo solus. We are the alone man, the lonely man. And so because we don't have that aristocratic connection, that chain that goes from king to peasant where you know you belong, you know you fit in, you have a culture, you have a place, you have a, an identity. We don't have identities. We manufacture our identities as a gift from the government or a corporation. And so we're used to that. We have been used to that since the day we decided the farm was less important than the bustle of the city life. And uh, and America's never gotten that back. That was Thomas Jefferson's thing, the yeoman farmer as the epitome of an American. And it's like, yeah, maybe, unless they get tired of farm life, then they go to the city. Then they get a little deed, a little title, they sell it, they go do something else. Get a little cryptocurrency. 
Get a little, get a little doug. And if you're Luke, you, you, you lose like three hundred bucks. So you know, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Don't Stonks. don't tell Aaron. Stonks. <laughs> That's because you put eight hundred dollars in Doge, and you're like, this will be great. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't tell Aaron. <laughs>